0: So my five-year goal, the statements for just just, we're just talking for my real estate empire here, is I have a net worth of over $2 million. I generate $5,000 a month from real estate investments. I own and operate 50 units, and I'm a limited partner in another 100 in syndications. I, I operate this entire business in less than five hours a month.
1: You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. Will unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. This is episode 108. Clark, how are you doing today?
2: good how are you actually i'm doing good but you're doing better because you're expecting
1: number two here that's right i'm gonna have a baby here any 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 minute hopefully you know i was i was reading this article this week actually it's pretty interesting so back in the day michael jordan earned roughly 90 million dollars in his playing career that's not from endorsements that's just from from nba salary Zion Williamson, who's who's the next big star right now, has already earned ninety five million dollars, and he hasn't even played a game yet. That's between his endorsements and 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 playing salary. But just goes to show, you know, you start thinking about inflation, you start thinking, you know, obviously the NBA has salary cap and everything else, but you know, as we we discussed with these millionaires about how they think about money and how they invest and stuff, it just goes to show, like, man. You really got to stay ahead of the game in inflation. Really got to kind of put inflation into to your calculations. You know?
2: Yeah, I mean that's just interesting. I, I think of Mike Conley, right? He was just trading of the Jazz, and he's making what thirty two or thirty three. So if Jordan made ninety, then Conley's going to make as much, or I mean, I guess probably more, right? With endorsements, in probably two years, with sixty million. Of it comes from salary, but yeah, that's uh, those are pretty crazy numbers,
1: right? It's pretty crazy. You know, you think about those those salaries and. You know, back in the day, Jordan, it was crazy when he went and eclipsed that thirty million dollar mark. And we've just had I don't know half handful of players or so. Steph Curry being most recent, I think James Harden. You know, they've signed contracts yep. where they're they're going to be forty million plus. You know, in the last year, their contract's going to be almost fifty million. You know, in in salaries and whatnot. Anyway, so let's get into sh- to today's show. We've got David. His net worth is $350,000. He's got a military background and he has a lot of great insight on investing in real estate and, and building a mindset for success. You know, On last week's show, we had Rob and he's the author of the new book entitled Retire Before Mom and Dad. And we talked to him about his journey to financial success, including starting and selling a financial blog. He had a really successful career in law and and eventually quit his job early as a partner at the law firm. And then essentially retired a second time from his blog, and, and now he's got a podcast and, and a bunch of other ventures that he's into, and, and obviously this book. So a real good, interesting interview with him uh, where we discuss all sorts of new ideas and, and financial concepts. Once again, that's episode 107. Before we get into the interview with David, I want to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital, for supporting the show. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identifies stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come investing with real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has over 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. Also, we've got several multifamily opportunities. If you're interested, feel free to reach out. Millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. And once again, we're always looking for new interviewees. We've had several of you reach out that are listeners of the show and really appreciate you and, uh, you know, kind of building this community and, and unveiling your portfolios to kind of help us all learn. You know, Clark and I were on a call this, this last week with a, a listener and, uh, he kind of got into all the different things he's learned from the podcast when he's on his walks and stuff. And we really appreciate, love hearing that feedback. So once again, if you're interested being on our, on our show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. And we also have a, a sponsorship spot opening up at the beginning of the year, and Welcome. if you're interested, uh, send us a quick email. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview with David.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on your show, guys. I have been in the Marine Corps for 11 years, and I'm still active duty for about another two before I will be transitioning to the reserves, and I am... I've built a community of military real estate investors. So I'm building a community to help service members and veterans understand how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance.
1: That's awesome. And what's
0: your net worth today? About 350,000. And how is that broken up? So that is, let's see, I've got, uh, 50,000 in 401k and 250000 in real estate, and then another $50,000 in reserve funds and index funds.
1: Awesome. And when did you decide to go into the military? Was that something you kind of decided in high school, or was it a little bit after? Or kind of what's been the journey through the military to now?
0: Yeah, so I had wanted to join when I was 17. I didn't know what I wanted to study at school. I didn't have money to pay for school and I was not smart enough or athletic enough to get a scholarship for school and I want to see the world. So what better way to see the world than drive cool toy? You know, I drive trucks for the Marine Corps and my mom refused. She'll argue this till the day she dies. She refused to sign the papers for me to join when I was 17. So if you look at my enlistment stuff, I literally swore like signed papers on my 18th birthday and swore in the next week. And then I shipped off to boot camp. And I have spent, uh I'm in the logistics world, so the motor transportation community. I've spent, I've been stationed in Japan, San Diego, Missouri, Hawaii, and now San Diego again. Uh, and in that time, I've seen several other countries as well as a combat deployment to Afghanistan. And now I am, yeah, living it up in San Diego. I'm at one of the highest level commands out here, so I'm really getting to see big picture stuff. And it's been fun.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for your service, by the way. Which of those places has been your favorite along the way?
0: Oh, that's tough. But I would – I loved Japanese culture, right? And Japanese culture was phenomenal. Afghanistan, honestly, the place was not my favorite, but the camaraderie and the mission and the purpose was very uh, very much a big impact in my life. But I would have to say Hawaii. The culture is solid. And as expensive as it is to live there, the military kind of compensates you with a housing allowance and a cost of living allowance. The base I was on was beautiful. The weather was great. 24-7. There's triathlons to run. There were people would actually come visit you. No one comes to visit you in Japan. They have excuses. But everybody's like, oh, you <laughs> live in Hawaii. We can make an exception to come visit you in Hawaii. Can we stay in your living room for free? You know, so it was great.
2: Yeah, that's how it is in New York. All of a sudden you have a bunch of friends, right?
0: Absolutely,
1: and, and Austin kind of, but not like Hawaii.
0: <laughs> Austin's nice though. Oh, I have yet to I make it to New York, so uh, now I know someone. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah there you
1: Austin's,
2: go. Austin's Austin's phenomenal.
1: <laughs> so, David, when you're going along this journey, at some point, you know, you decided that hey, I want to take control of my financial life to some degree. I want to start investing. I've got an interest in real estate. When did all that kind of take place? And how did you get that interest in
0: real estate? <laughs> Through Amway, which is the worst answer ever. So in two thousand fifteen, mid two thousand fifteen, I met a guy who I'm not gonna name. I've actually tried to find him again to thank him for this because he doesn't know that he helped me out. And I got I don't wanna say suckered into, but I got talked into doing networking marketing network marketing with Amway. And I, I tried it out for like a month. Right. And it didn't work. The coaching wasn't there and it was just not enough time for, you know, whatever. It just wasn't my thing at the time. But the one thing that Amway did for me was he handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and said, read this. And I said, I'm a Marine. I don't read. I don't have time. I'm a recruiter. And he was like, OK, great. Here's a CD. You're a recruiter. You drive around in your car all day. Listen to this. And I was like, ah, OK, fine. Right. And I listened to it. And holy smokes, that just changed the entire trajectory of my life. Like I tried to, I tried to hunt him down last time I was in town, so I could buy him dinner and say thank you. Uh, within, I read that book, then I turned around, and I was researching uh, real estate because it talks a little bit about that, and I was looking into passive income. Stumbled across this website, Bigger Pockets. And I read the book on rental property investing by the uh, bigger box guy Brandon Turner. Three months later, I owned a house hack where I uh, live in one half and rent the other half out to a tenant to cover my expenses. And so, in that like four month period, I went from you know, these are Missouri numbers, so they're minuscule, but paying like five fifty a month for rent to owning a duplex that was costing me five hundred dollars a month or $600 a month in mortgage, but I was being paid 525 by a tenant. So I went from paying $550 a month to live in an apartment to like 75 bucks a month plus maintenance budgeting to own a duplex and it was just kind of eye opening. So since then, I've bought, I bought that. I bought a single family. I bought some farmland and some cattle, which is just kind of an interesting way to pay off the farmland. Uh, I bought a 10 unit apartment. I bought a 40 unit mixed use building. And then I'm, uh, I'm actually negotiating a 12 unit right now. So, uh, just trying to push forward. Oh, and I'm flipping a house. I flipped some other houses. So, uh, yeah, it's just been a kind of a crazy journey of, uh, I, I I, uh, it was not planned very well. I, I've gotten a lot better at vision planning over the last year, but that first couple of years was less vision and more read a book. That sounds cool. Let's try it. But the power of taking action has just compounded and I've had uh, some success doing it.
2: Yeah, good for you, obviously. So that first duplex, did you just save up
0: money on the side when you were in the military and that's how you're able to buy it? No, I, well, I should have used the VA loan if I had been smart, but I allowed a lender who didn't really, either didn't know what he was telling me or didn't have my best interest in heart to talk me to the FHA loan, which still wasn't bad. It was only about 4,000 down because it was an affordable duplex. Uh, So I had, I mean, I, I think I had the money sitting around for the most part. I would like to say it was, oh, no, it wasn't for any good decision. I totaled my Harley. Uh, I wasn't riding it, but I had my Harley parked out in a parking lot and someone decided to be drunk and park on top of it with their truck. And so my oh. Harley, my Harley got totaled and I wasn't riding it much on recruiting duty. So I just kept the money and said I'd buy a bike when I ended up in California. And so it just so happened that this transpired around the time that I had that cash. Otherwise, I probably would have blown it on some dumb stuff, which is what I had been doing previously. So it was definitely <laughs> not that I was planning ahead. I, I did all of the typical Get out of deployment, buy some tattoos, a gun, a rifle, a truck, a Harley, and probably a bunch of booze and protein powder. And I, uh, it was not (laughs) good decisions, right? And, but I was lucky enough to be able to stop all that as soon as I made these realizations. And I was able to really turn around and be able to start saving 40, 50, 60 that first year of realizing what I've been doing wrong. And it just skyrocketed from that. So it was about 4,000 down for the duplex.
2: Awesome. Good for you. And I want to talk about how you found it and initially, because I think that's a big piece of what real estate is, right? Is finding that first deal. And oftentimes, if you listen to Bigger Pockets or other uh, real estate investing podcasts, a lot of the information is on that first deal, right? Because oftentimes people say, hey, that's the hardest. And once you get the first one under your belt, it all kind of snowballs from there. So, how'd you find it?
0: Honestly, I found it on the MLS. Now, I had probably looked at about 15 places before I found this one and I negotiated it down about 10,000 to make the numbers work. Definitely not my best deal so far. It's still cash flows about 300 bucks a month, but it was not my best deal. But talking to or listening to those podcasts, one of the things that I took away was exactly that, that your first deal doesn't need to be your best. It just needs to be your first and essentially saying, as long as you don't make a, a deal so bad that it bankrupts you and you can never start over, which basically no deal is, is ever that bad. The worst case scenario with a house hack is really not that bad. I mean, you're I went from paying five fifty a month to rent a place to you know, if I hadn't had a tenant, it would have been six hundred bucks a month to own the place. So my, my risk was very, very minimal, but the upside was huge. And so it was easy to just justify taking action So although it wasn't my best deal, I always tell people it doesn't have to be your best deal. Don't look for the best deal. Just look for something that you are okay pulling the trigger on and then pull the trigger because you will learn more doing it than you'll ever learn by listening to podcasts or reading books because the taking action piece is the most crucial part. And once you do that, A, you'll learn how to be more efficient, more effective on the next one. But B, you'll have a little confidence. And most importantly, you will have done it and you'll feel accomplished and you'll be okay doing it a second time.
2: Yeah, I agree. And and remind me if you already said this, but what did you say cash flow a month if it was 5 is it 550 both sides?
0: Yeah, so it's about 550 both sides now, and once I factor in some capital expenditures and maintenance and some of that budgeting, I get about it depends on the month, but 250 to 300 a month cash in pocket now that both sides are rented out, which is not amazing, but again, I paid 4,000 down and I've had it for 3 years, so it's more than yeah. paid for itself uh two or three times over now. And you have a 15 year or a 30 year on it? That one is a 30-year. My 10-unit is a 15. and I I really like the 15-year if you're able to cover it with cash flow.
2: Right. So were you nervous at all buying real estate when you were living there that you might get restationed or move somewhere else in the military? Was that a concern or a thought?
0: At the time, no. I guess I was just young enough that I thought, eh, what's the worst that can happen, right? It's For me, it was an $81,000 duplex. So it was Fairly easy to say, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'll be able to cover this mortgage if the world falls apart. Right. But I also had some luck finding a property manager that gave me a real warm and fuzzy, and that was the big ticket. I found when I lived next to these people that even though they were doing nothing wrong, I would find things that, you know, it's my house, so you like, you nitpick things. So, for example, they had a blue tarp that they would put up around the porch out front of the house, and that bugged me. It drove me nuts. And, And there was nothing wrong with it, it just didn't look perfect, and it drove me nuts. And I realized that like that doesn't matter. So once I hired a property manager and I moved out, I realized like, I don't even know if they have that up anymore. It wasn't worth worrying about. And so <laughs> I just kind of, I just kind of vowed that, you know, I'm never going to waste my time managing properties myself again. Not to say that there's not some benefit to saving a little bit of money, but when you manage yourself, you want to drive by the property and you want to tell them to, you know, close their blinds or put their take their laundry off the clothes wire or whatever. Like there's a subconscious piece of you that's like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that to my property. Even right. if they're not doing anything, they're just not as nice and neat as you are. And so I I have learned that property management is probably the best thing, assuming it's a good property manager, that you could ever do for your real estate business. I spend, so right now I have 13 rental units in a flip and I spend less than one hour every month managing those.
2: Wow, well, wow, that's pretty amazing. So any issues on any of them? especially being across the country and away from them?
0: Or when's the last time you saw this duplex in Missouri? I drove by it last time I was in town. Uh, so that was in June. But prior to that, I hadn't seen it in two years. And I was with that one. <clears throat> with my 10 unit, I've had two or three evictions, but my property manager is so awesome. There was there was one of the – so there were two evictions when we moved in. Uh, I knew they were getting evicted. They were people I would have never rented to. They were both registered sex offenders. I didn't want them in the building. One of them wasn't paying rent anyway. So I like the moment we closed, it was like, hey, goodbye. But there was a third one about six months later. And my property manager is so awesome that I didn't even know I had an eviction until the end of the month when I got the income statement. And it was a little lower. And I looked through the expenses and it was like eviction costs, unit turnover, you know, and then on the income was like new tenant down. But like she had evicted someone, turned the unit over and had a new tenant in place all within the one pay period. And I didn't even know it happened. So she's amazing. But I've had some interesting I had someone take out the roof of my 10 unit with a U-Haul and had like a six month uh, insurance claim trying to get all that money back. I don't know. The guy found out he was dying and decided that he didn't know how to drive either on his way out of the property. Uh, So he like left the unit very hurriedly, which you know, bad news. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not not to make light of that. He was in a rough situation, but I think he was already taking some pretty interesting meds. And so, yeah, somehow he managed to like back through. So he hit the awning of the roof while backing up and continued to back up for like 15 feet while destroying like two by fours and and mm. the whole roof. And I'm like, how did you not notice that? Like the whole top of the U Hauls bit. So that was probably one of my more interesting uh, expenditures but it all worked out
2: so just out of curiosity how much does the property management company charge for the eviction and,
0: and re-renting the unit or the turnover so uh well they charge seven seven percent of gross monthly but the uh, the turnover is really it's just cost of whatever the damages are for the tenant I don't pay them really a flat fee I think it's like a hundred bucks as far as like material and main or uh, labor and that is whatever you know paying costs are. Which are budgeted for it. And most of that will end up coming out of the tenants' deposit, depending on what the uh what damages they did or did not do. As far as the eviction costs, in Missouri it's like three or four hundred bucks. It's super cheap, super easy. It is nothing compared to the nightmare that would be a California eviction where it's thousands of dollars and months and months of right. legal battle. So I'm very fortunate that Missouri is very pro landlord.
2: Awesome. So, David, I think you know of the of the real estate big real estate or investors that we've we've interviewed. I think you're kind of in a unique situation here, where you're everything from house flipping to house hacking to duplexes to you know small multi to large multi. Now, obviously, it's intentional, right? Or you wouldn't do it. But what's kind of the thought behind it? Is it just hey, I find a deal, and if it's a good enough deal, I don't care what it is, I just buy it? Or are you kind of trying to figure out what you like and then head into that? Or what's the thinking?
0: I think the so the thinking is, and if I was to try to justify this, because you're right, I'm all over the place, is that
2: No, I don't I don't know that's a I don't uh, think it's a bad thing, right? Obviously you've done well. I just normally when we see people investing in real estate, it's like, okay, you're either single family or multifamily, right? But you're you're all across and I think that
0: could be great too. So if you look at it timeline wise, I started off as the house hack, single family, and then I progressed and I was trying to progress more into the multifamily because it's more scalable, it's less competition than trying to buy single families in the area. And like the small multis, like the six to – or five to 25 units where you're not trying to fight off big syndications. big boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I really like that niche. But I was on that path, and then I had a big deal that didn't quite work out as planned, so I'm still figuring all that out, and it kind of cut into my capital. So the house flip that I'm in right now is more or less just a way to build some capital. I had partnered on some flips in Hawaii – so I understand the concept and I understand how to do it. I figured what's, you know, what's a cheap house in Missouri? I might as well do it and build a little bit of capital so I can continue investing. But the other piece for that, cause I haven't even mentioned that I am the house I'm renting in California right now. I have a unit or a bedroom bathroom downstairs that I'm Airbnb and I'm operating that myself. And a large part of why I did that, I could have easily gotten a smaller apartment and saved just as much money as I'm saving after living in the bigger house with airbnb costs cutting into the expenses but a large motivator behind that was if i'm building a community for military real estate investors and i'm providing content on youtube and content on podcasts and content you know blog articles then for me i don't just in in my opinion i have no right to talk about airbnb if i have not done it and so for me it was like hey I'm going to find a way that I can Airbnb a house for or a bedroom for a year or two so that a, I offset my living costs a little bit and B I now have a very thorough understanding of how to do that so that if okay. I want to produce content on it, I'm not only knowledgeable, but I, you know, at least in my head, I'm not an imposter. Right.
2: Yep. Yep. No, I totally agree. And what about the farmland? I think that's interesting. And we've had a couple of people that own land, but not too many. So maybe I'm just curious, how much
0: did you buy? How big is the land? So that is a example of me taking what was not an investment and trying to justify it as an investment. So the it's it's a total of 10 acres, but it's so we owned a house on five. And when we moved out, we rented it. The house behind it, they owned 10 acres. And I had told the guy for years, hey, if you ever sell, I want the five acres between us. He's like, I'm never going to sell. And he finally he got relocated with work. And so he calls me, he's like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm selling it. Uh, this guy wants to buy all 10 acres. And I was like, great. What's he paying you an acre? He's like, uh, 5,000. I was like, awesome. I'll give you 8,000 an acre. Give me the five in the middle. And, uh, we had a decent enough relationship that he, you know, he agreed. And so I, I, it was only, you know, it was only five acres. It was 40,000. It wasn't super unaffordable, but it was not an investment. It was just a, I'm going to live there, and I don't want some other person to have the land right behind my house. I want to be able to control that area, and I want yeah. to have the 10-acre plot. So we had – my father-in-law does cattle farming, and we had three or four cows. And so what we did was we bought a bull to breed for my father-in-law's cattle and said, hey, you know, just let us use them, whatever. And we worked out a deal where essentially we – what we do is we, we've been growing the herd. So now we're at like – ten or 12 head of cattle and every year when we sell the cattle we give him one of the cows so that's you know anywhere from eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars depending on uh, prices that year and then so he keeps that as a thank you for him helping us out and running the show we get the remainder so it works out it's growing as the herd grows but it's coming out to about five or six thousand dollars a year my mortgage payment's 350 so it comes out to you know four thousand dollars or forty two hundred dollars a year in mortgage. so now I'm covering that with the cattle. And that was really just a justification for making the purchase. But the nice thing is the land is about to be paid off. And I've been paying more than I was supposed to. So I'll have the land paid off in like two years. And then we'll have all the income from the cattle as just an additional thing. And there's all all kinds of agriculture, like tax write-off benefits for that and for the rental. And then it's just a nice addition. So it was just... An example of what's the Robert Kiyosaki phrase, instead of saying, I can't afford that, you say, how can I afford that? And you find a way. And I didn't want to make it an expense, so I found a way to turn purchasing land that I wanted for a personal reason into an income stream.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome, man. You can just kind of figure out a way, right? No matter what you want to do, you just figure out
0: a way. That's it.
1: So, David, you've built up a a great net worth. You've got all these real estate deals. You've got all these things going on. Where do you kind of go from here? What's your net worth goal, your passive income goal? Where are you trying to go?
0: Oh, man, I feel like I should grab my vision board and read this out loud to myself. Oh, yeah, but totally. Let's hear it. I, uh, <laughs> oh. so my five year goal, the statements for just, just, we're just talking for my real estate empire here, is I have a net worth of over $2 million. I generate $5,000 a month from real estate investments. I own and operate 50 units, and I'm a limited partner in another 100 in syndications. I, I operate this entire business in less than five hours a month, so that's my that's my bullet points for the actual uh, vision statement that I'm working out. But my goal long term is I'm getting out of the military in two years to go in the reserves, and my hope is that by that time I'll have replaced at least 75% of my income through real estate investments and through educational products and you know podcast sponsors and stuff through building this community to help veterans, and then that will allow me to focus. Full time on building both the community and potentially launching a, a long term goal is to launch an event like a military investor conference and to really b- fundamentally build on that community because it's just such a great niche that a lot of people, so many service members that do this and don't talk about it. And there's so many service members that don't know it's an option. So I really want to help get that out there. So I just want to be able to, in the next five years, cover enough of my income that I can afford to go off and do speaking gigs and, and host a conference or whatever to help reach more veterans without having to worry about not getting paid through my W-2.
1: Oh, I think that's great. Maybe let's, let's discuss that a little bit. What are some of the, the unique opportunities that, that veterans or military personnel might have in, in investing in real estate?
0: Well, the first is the VA line, which... For one thing, the limit, which was one of the downsides for years, the VA loan limit, which caps out depending on your market anywhere from 450 to 725, is going away on January 1st, which is just huge. Uh, we have yet to see how banks are going to play with the debt-to-income ratio for qualifications, but it's in the bank's best interest to let you buy a buy a large property if you qualify for it. So that's going to be very interesting because that means that come January, a service member who might have been capped at 685,000 or whatever San Diego County is could potentially go and buy a $1.3 million triplex now with zero out of pocket, which is just huge, uh, assuming the numbers work. So one advantage, obviously, the VA loan, zero down and great rates and no PMI and just great terms. Another one that people don't realize is the VA loan has a renovation model, much like the 203K. So you can buy a property that needs to be fixed up and turn around and completely renovate it before you move in and build that equity in by forcing the appreciation and still be completely zero out of pocket. And then there's some other, there's a there's a streamlined VA loan, which allows you to essentially refinance up to 100% of the value of your property while you live in it very, very quickly. So all those lending opportunities are great. And then some of the other benefits, uh, for one, you get a housing allowance. So if you're wrestling with the idea of, buying an investment property and you look into the house hack idea, I mean, when you look at how much you're paying for rent. So for example, I'm paying $3,000 a month right now to rent this house. But if I had bought a house in the neighborhood, I'd be paying right about the same amount with a large chunk going to principal. And I could still be airbnb out or airbnb the downstairs, but I would have, a, I have a $3,100 housing allowance. So essentially I'm paying for this property out of the military's money but if i buy if i had bought a cheaper house with a smaller mortgage i'm still getting thirty one hundred dollars in housing allowance so you could buy a smaller place build equity rent out whatever when you leave and you still get to keep the difference between your housing allowance and your mortgage payment which is a huge benefit so for when i lived in missouri my housing allowance was eight hundred fifty dollars a month I was paying six hundred and fifty for or six twenty five for a mortgage and having a tenant pay almost all of that. You know, where's my where's my downside? I'm pocketing of the eight fifty that I was getting for a housing allowance, I'm pocketing like seven hundred and whatever the difference is to live in this place. I mean that's a I'm bonus. Go back to Missouri. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm excited. The living expenses are great there.
2: <laughs> yeah and, and i think it's great advice and, and it reminds me that we interviewed another military uh, guy who was stationed in japan i think right chase and and he talked about kind of some of the other living stipends and stuff that he got and and i think he learned a language or something so they gave him a little bit more and anyway he was able to bank a lot
0: and invested it and save so same type of strategy how, david how levered are your properties uh they're fairly leveraged so my Let's see, my duplex was the FHA, so it was three and a half percent, but I've got about twenty thousand in equity in it now. My single family, we owe ninety on it, and it's worth about one eighty, two hundred. But it's uh I have a HELOC out on it. It's not really utilized right now, but it's there. So, you know, depending on how much I spend on the HELOC at any given time, it could be a little bit more leveraged or less leveraged. And then my 10 unit, I got into my 10 unit for five percent down through uh 85% bank finance, 10% stellar finance. But I'm refinancing right now, and when I'm done with the refinance, I'll pay off all the seller financing, and I will be at uh, about 75% loan to value, so normal 25% down. So I will have put in ten thousand and refinanced out fifteen thousand, lowered my payment two hundred dollars a month, and I'll have sixty two thousand dollars in equity in that. So uh, I think my I'm anywhere from I don't know seventy five to fifty percent loan to value right now, but they oh, yeah. were definitely purchased much higher leverage. Sure. Oh, and then I'm 100% leveraged on my uh, flip. That's all cash. So, or I oh, guess nice. I'm zero zero leveraged. Never and you've
2: done it. how many total
0: flips have you done? This is my first solo one. Okay, but
2: you did a couple in Hawaii with a partner.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of. I was not. I guess I say partner. I was more or less the guy who found the property, brought it to someone who was a big player, and said, "Hey, here, will you flip this? And let me help with the process so I can learn." So I didn't really make any money out of it it at all. Oh, okay. I got, I got a flat 2000 for bringing the deal and he probably made six figures, but it was totally worth it.
2: Wow. So when you're looking at these real estate deals, whether it be a smaller duplex or a bigger multifamily, what are kind of your, do you have deal requirements? Is there a cash on cash? Is there an IRR? Like, what are you looking for when you kind of analyze it and
0: underwrite a deal? Yeah. The requirement, I guess they kind of differ based on the strategy. So for the flip, I just wanted to make $10,000 in you know two or three months through and and really to gain a little bit more experience doing it. So I'm probably gonna make about twenty five when all said and done. But my minimum was, hey, I'm gonna make ten grand so that I have a little bit extra capital. Uh so I'll probably make twenty five, which is not huge. On my when I look at multifamilies, I'm generally looking to be able to get fifty percent cash on cash. So which is I've done much better than that. I, I have yet to buy a property where I did not pay off my entire down payment in cash flow within the first year and a half. So I'm looking to get at least 50% cash on cash because I'm I'm buying like C-class properties in an area that's getting built up. So for my 10-unit, I bought it for like $212,000, which is super cheap for a 10-unit. It was maybe a D-class property, but now it's in a C-class area and it's getting nicer and the appraisals are going up quite fast and I'm able to raise rents. And so I was able to pay off i mean i'm I'm making back my entire down payment in cash flow every year, not including debt pay down and everything else that's obviously adding to that. so I look for at least fifty percent cash on cash. I tell everyone hundred dollars a door at minimum, but that's like worst case scenario. I make much more than that, and then I'm looking for uh, you know I really don't dabble with the i r r generally generally because they're not big enough properties where I'm trying to pull in syndicators, and that's just overly complicating something that. I don't necessarily care that much about it.
2: And are you still <clears> finding them on the MLS or, or, or are you finding them different ways now?
0: Let's see. The 10 unit was a letter for a duplex. I sent out a bunch of direct mail marketing and someone called me and said, I have a 10 unit or a two, two a duplex, but I'm not selling it to you. So I have a 10 unit if you're interested in that. And it just kind of went from there. Uh, the 12 unit I'm negotiating right now, actually my contractor or one of my contractors called me and said, hey, I was doing a job and this guy was talking about selling his property and I wanted to know if you wanted to partner on it. I don't know anything about it, but it sounds like a cool deal. And am like, like, oh, okay. And so we got on <laughs> a phone last week and it, it could be a phenomenal deal. I'm waiting on the income expense reports, but the gentleman is, he's 76 and he just wants to retire. He only owes $20,000 on this property. It's 12 units and he was asking 220, which is 30,000 less than my 10 units worth and only about 20 minutes away, uh, similar class, but it's three fourplexes. So it's, and it's three separate buildings on two acres with a community building. It, it, I mean, it, it, you can't lose with numbers that like two at a 220 purchase price. If the rooms rent for 250 bucks a month, I'm winning and they're going to rent for a lot more than that. I think he's renting for 400 right now. And that's at least 200 under market rent. And he just hasn't done anything to add value to it, so I think there's a big value add to that, but more importantly, he's interested in talking seller financing, so we might be able to pull off giving him twenty thousand and then paying him a thousand dollars a month flat for sixteen years and saying you know we got in for no interest, but we paid him ten more than he wanted. This is in so it is yeah, nice, so I'm hoping to work that out uh he's He's open to the conversation, hopefully we can find seller financing terms he's interested in where I don't have to mess with banks.
2: Gotcha. So a couple questions here before we end with any mistakes and advice, as much as you're comfortable sharing here, what, what's your household spending annually?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Let me, let me think on that for a second annually. Are we including real estate and business costs?
2: No, just living expenses.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, well, my mortgage right now here, my rent is about $3,000 a month. So you factor that in, that's that's 36000 uh, which comes out of my housing allowance. But aside from that, Probably about a thousand a month. I mean, we pay four hundred on cars, and then we spend less than four hundred on food. And, and let's see, that's all my housing expenses. I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I, I'd say probably about $1, $1, a thousand fifteen hundred a month. We're, we're pretty, we're fairly. Fr- my wife's way more frugal than I am, but I I find a way to justify all my crazy spending habits through business expenses, so it kind of works out for me. Yeah. And does she work as well, or she is a high school counselor? Oh, nice.
2: Yeah. And and any books or tools or anything that's been beneficial to you? Anything that you recommend?
0: Oh, where do I begin on that? On the real estate, real estate world, I would just say pretty much anything bigger pockets related for books. Their stuff's awesome. But I'm a huge fan of, there's so many books, but I'll say the four hour work week and the four disciplines of execution are probably two of the bigger impact ones. The four, four hour work week, because the military is phenomenal at a lot of things, but they don't. They don't teach you the entrepreneur mindset of trading money for time. They they trade time for money, the exact opposite. So they are willing to work you longer to save them money. And so that does not work in the building a business or scaling anything realm. And so 4-Hour Workweek has f- just absolutely helped me change my mindset on that to where I'm willing to pay somebody if it saves me hours of my time. And then the four disciplines of execution – mainly because it's a book that I don't know why I didn't read sooner. It's a somewhat recent read for me, but just how to focus on a goal and actually track whether you're making it to that goal and executing it is just stuff that I was not good at. So between those two and, I mean, there's so many books, but those are probably the two that I would say right now.
1: Awesome, David. Appreciate that. Just to kind of wrap up, what what advice would you give to, to the 25 or 30 year old just starting out <laughs> either in real estate or trying to build wealth? What would you tell them?
0: So the first thing I would say is you need to learn, network, and take action. Those are my three. So you need to spend as much time as possible learning everything and anything that you can, whether that's podcasts, books, audio books, or just getting around people who've done it before. You need to network, network, network. So go to local meetups and events for subjects that you want. Find a real estate investor meetup. Find an event on – you can go to meetup.com. Uh, pockets has an event page. Local Facebook groups have events. And just get around people. It doesn't matter if you're the – if you only learned what real estate investing is yesterday and you show up and you're just nice to people, you'll gain a lot of information. But eventually those contacts and that network will really, really, really help you out. And then ultimately take action. So I kind of joke with people that you know, there's no amazing formula to take action. I don't know. Maybe I was just like this lucky guy who happened to be a Marine and was like, screw it, let's do it. But What I did when I was making that decision was I had started going to meetups. And I'd only been going to networking events. Like I think I'd gone to two when I bought my first property. But at the second one, I found two or three guys that I'd met the first time. And I said, hey, I'm looking at a couple properties. Here's the numbers I came up with. I don't want you to take your time analyzing it. But could you take 10 seconds, look at it, and just tell me if there's any screaming red flags? They looked at it. And none of them had any screaming red flags. And I said, great. If these three guys who have been doing this a lot longer than me didn't see any major, major red flags, then it's not too far off the mark. I need to pull the trigger and start learning. And I just went with it. And that has proved to be so valuable. So I just say learn, network, and just take action. That's
1: awesome. David, appreciate it. Where can people find you or get a
0: hold of you? Yeah, I, I am at from com or The Military Millionaire Podcast.
1: Awesome. Once again, that's David with a net worth over $300,000. Thanks for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you very much for having me, guys. Thanks, David.
1: Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.